Hello, friends and listeners, and welcome back to Now That's What I Call Podcast, where we are about halfway through our My Podcast Valentine series, exploring the discography of My Bloody Valentine. My name is Will. I'm here with my friend, Paul. My name is Paul, and I'm really enjoying My Bloody Podcast. <laughs> I, uh... One day you're going to say it right, uh, and then I'll love you, but until then, uh, no kisses then. for you. No kisses from Daddy. No. You, you won't be getting them. It's a weird energy. So uh, how are you doing, Paul? What's, what's, what's happening with you? I'm doing pretty well. It's, it's very windy here in Atlanta, Georgia, where I reside, and I'm just enjoying the oh, weekend. Oh, self-docked. Dang. <laughs> I know. You can slowly be. One of our identity. five listeners is going to is gonna look you up. <laughs> all of our five listeners already know who I am. Yes, they all they all very much know. Actually, one of them maybe won't, doesn't okay. know where you live, but they can all find out very easily. They can it's all not find like out. It's, they're all just our friends. <laughs> I'm glad we finally whittled down, like, the people who listens to because we asked them to once and the people who, like, will actually, like... <laughs> From like, yeah, I see you. I, I see the, the numbers that are updated every time, and all of you, like six or seven people that listen on the week of a new episode. I love you. This, this I know, goes out we to love you. all of you. One you of you the, is you me. the real ones. One of you is yeah, me. Yeah, one of them I'm, is also me. I'm so, so, so I'm so, so on myself, but the rest of you, you guys are great. <laughs> yeah, and then the like 20 odd people that listened to the first one and then didn't continue. We know, we know who you are. It's okay. Like, I it's 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 okay. It's what did okay. we get? We got one that I was surprised from today that when I was lo- looking at the statistics that I will bring up momentarily, it was from a country that I did not expect. We had one Indian listener. Bermuda. One we have one from okay. Bermuda and okay. one from India. Do you think these are people who are just trying to find... Um, who are just trying to find now that's, now that's what, what I call, I call music, music on Spotify? On 100%. Spotify? 100%. 100%. And then weirdly, we are in the Russian Federation. We're really popping off. Oh, we're, hey. we're, we're, we're Putin's. Uh, uh, I was like, hey, at the moment. hey, if you are Vladimir Putin, listen to our podcast. Don't. Don't. <laughs> don't. He's going to be our allowed. only Patreon. <laughs> Gosh, I'm so I'm so brave, aren't I? That was a brave stand <laughs> I just took. All right. Well, uh, how are you doing, my man? I'm good. Yeah, I've been. Uh... I've been uh, accumulating a lot of records this last week. Yeah, I was texting you've been doing you. some collecting. I have been. I was texting you uh, about this v- label that I've been really into called Vinyl on Demand. Yeah. That is a German label, and they do all these like weird, obscure, Euro, um, like minimal synth stuff from like the early 80s and experimental music, industrial power electronics and stuff, and it's been... I don't know. It's very exciting. I we Paul and I kind of have this back and forth where it's like every once in a while we'll find this new world of music that's unexplored, and then we're like, oh my god, this is the coolest thing ever. And then like it's I don't know. I I feel like I'm getting that. And the way you explained it to me, you're you're just ordering cassettes, and you don't know what's what those cassettes are going to sound like. Sort of. So this label specifically, like what they do is they take releases that were done as like limited edition cassettes and like very small runs in the early 80s and they remaster them on vinyl so it's like a high quality vinyl um box set um of the cassette recording so they're not actually cassettes that i'm getting um but uh yeah it's nice because it's kind of like they're different compilations and stuff and it's things that i'm not aware of before and it's i don't know it's exciting because i feel like i was sort of not petering out on jazz but like i've been doing that for the last year and i was like okay i kind of like reached a state where i seen a lot of what i want and i don't know where the next step is in this and then it's like oh here's this new and exciting thing to yeah get into so that's always an exciting uh thing for me very uh, cool. I, i'm not sure that uh you will like it but i think maybe one day i'll do like a, a young person's guide to 
minimal synth as a bonus episode or something. I mean, is there is there like any band name that you could use to locate like any like act name that you could use to locate me in this genre? No, because I cannot locate myself in the genre. It's right. very like much not known known stuff. It's it's like super um, obscure, and a lot of them are compilations anyway. The thing that I got recently was this um, a box set by the the Los Angeles Free Music Society, which was like a loose collective of musicians in Los Angeles in the late seventies, early eighties that put out like a lot of weird, cool cassette stuff, and that was under one like label, one kind of name. So you can probably look them up and find some of their longer form. It's like a mix of like minimalism, avant-garde composition stuff, and like it's it's very odd and cool and weird. Uh, I'll try to send you some if I can, like actually listen to it enough to understand which of the pieces I like. Because there's a lot of it. Yeah, it's a little hard to parse through. And when you like a piece of music, there will be no way to share it with me. You yeah. Just, I, well, no. I mean, some you, of them you are just on. Have to say, I liked this. This cassette. is the one. No, there's um there's a rips on YouTube of of some of the stuff. Okay. So it, it it exists in somewhere. But YouTube have you, is have such you a great any, uh... depository of um, illegally acquired music. I feel it like is. it's I'm, so used torrenting is just like the place to find music that you don't. Yeah, have so to far everything into. that we've done on this series has been YouTube comps of, of hard to find. Uh, well, today we're on to Spotify. Yeah, well, this is the official stuff. We're getting we're 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 going uh, major label. This is now. the this well, is the stuff that uh, my bloody Valentine will uh, acknowledge. As yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll cop to doing this stuff. Actually, yeah. they they admit to it as well. They should as well. They should. So getting into it, beautiful segue. Um, yeah. Last episode we talked about sort of the. I guess you don't give years. a fuck what I listened to this past. Week. Oh, I thought I thought you threw it to me, and then well, what are you listening no. to? Oh no, I'm just being an asshole. Um, I uh, I realized I was I was kind of going through my favorite corny rappers this week. Uh, Lupe Fiasco, uh, later career Chance the Rapper, just some you know some nice some nice sweet hip hop boys. Um, I Do you have the um hatred for Chance the Rapper's like release. What was the new day? Big Day is a pretty bad day album, day. but Coloring Book is actually an album that hits kind of a sweet spot for me. That was his first main studio album after like his mixtape is like far and away like the best music he's the made. The only thing I know from him is 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 Acid or Acid Rap? That's acid Rap. Yeah, that's his, that's, that's his, the only thing that I know. Yeah, that's his mixtape. Um which is now on Spotify for but for a while you could only get through like Dat Piff and other uh, mixtapes. I like I like that uh, mixtape. It, it's it's you know. really good. It's it's got some of my least favorite features of any album. There are some features that I think straight up ruin a couple songs. Uh, shout out to Absol. Um but yeah, acid rap is really good, and coloring bo- the coloring book just kind of hits a sweet spot for me of corny rapper um, stuff with some some really good features. No name is on there. Uh, Jay Electronica makes an appearance, and I just really love Lupe Fiasco. He's he's kind of in my shortlist to cover as someone I think is extremely talented, but um, just has a couple of core issues, whichever keep him from I think rising to his. What kind Potential? of rap like genre is he? Because I literally know nothing about him at all. He's got a really interesting career. I mean, he's kind of like a, I, I kind of, he's a very lyrical, very technically skilled, but very like heart on his sleeve rapper who can do both like slice of life stuff, but also do real like conscious issues kind of hip hop, which isn't always my thing, but sometimes I like to indulge in and. He 
he started kind of putting out his own stuff. He got picked up by a label, and then he put out a terrible album called Lasers. It's just like really bad mainstream rap, which is really not suited to. And it just it, it's really fascinating. That's why I think he'd be fun to cover. Um, he puts out this mainstream album that just uses none of his skills as a rapper at all. And he's very vocal about how railroaded he felt by working with the studios. Um, but the album's called Lasers. <laughs> his main one uses... Um, gosh, this this sample that... It, some, it was like some big indie sample at the time. One sec. Um It, it basically rips off the Modest Mouse float on as the sample. Oh, interesting. Um, but then he returns to doing some some stuff that I really like. And uh, I, I have an unpopular opinion about which Lupe Fiasco album is my favorite. But he is chronically unable to choose um, beats that, that sound good. And he chooses very corny beats. He's a very corny guy, but he's also a very good rapper. So I was listening to a fair amount of Lupe Vasca this week. Yeah, I remember when you were doing the, um, the samples, uh, like game. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That was then, off Drogas Wave, which uh, spoiler alert is my favorite Lupe Fiasco. Well, album. I know, and then it was funny because I looked it up after that, and like <laughs> the reviews were not very good. And I was yeah, like, no, oh, people did not like that Paul album. Really likes this. People did not like that album. I really like that album. Yeah. Um. But yeah, he, he'd be interesting to talk about because he has this kind of chance to go mainstream that just does not work for him at all. I honestly just, just because I think he's a little bit too sincere and a little bit too, I think... Lupe? A little bit, a little a little too, bit Lupe. too Lupe. I think he has a concept of authenticity that he's just a little too dedicated to to really make it as a mainstream rapper. That's interesting. <clears throat> interesting because I feel like that is usually something that I feel like is is so but like does that mean his stuff after him, he went mainstream is it still like good to you did he swing back to something else no yeah, he, like he swung back to something like, i really like drogas wave is 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 late tier i mean he he got off of that label whatever label he was on um he he, he got off of that record deal so he's back to just um I don't think it, either on a smaller label or producing himself. I don't really have the info in front of me right right now. Um, but, you know, but then just like a lot of like 90s hip hop has like the one corny song. Like I love like Moment of Truth by Gangstar, um, you know, where they kind of like slow down from the kind of like, you know, 90s New York kind of grimy hip hop to just do this one really like now, guys, it's all important to be nice to each other kind of song. Uh, I do not know, but I believe you. So yeah, that's 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 been me. Wait, but, so pitch um, me on pitch me on what is the series name for? Oh Lupe gosh, Podasco. Um, American podcasts and liquor, I guess. <laughs> uh, Looking forward to to American podcasts and liquor coming soon. American podcasts and liquor, or American podcasts and liquor too, is usually funnier when you put the two in there when it's not the second series. I like it. All right, so let's let's All let's. Right. Okay. Now that we don't have a good segue, let's talk about my <laughs> bloody Valentine. Hey, that's okay. Uh, sometimes it goes like that. Yeah. So last week we had talked about the transitional EPs, and we had kind of commented on them being uh, 
quite different from beginning to end with David Conway, the lead vocalist, uh, the original lead vocalist leaving, being placed, replaced by Belinda Butcher. And today we are getting into the, the first kind of chunk of what the band released as what they are kind of known to the rest of um, the world as. We're going to be covering two EPs that preceded their debut album and then their debut album uh, itself. So getting into You Made Me Realize, this is their first EP for Creation Records. Do you remember, Paul, um, we had mentioned a guy named, I think it was Joe Foster, who yeah. um, who had produced their, um, I think they he produced the new record by My Bloody Valentine. And you had right. commented that it was like, oh, this is the first time they worked with a producer. And it actually sounds pretty good. Um, so Joe Foster was the co-founder of Creation Records. And what had happened is in January of 1988, which was after their Ecstasy and Wine um, was 1987, the end of that, uh, Alan McGee, who was the other co-founder of Creation Records, um, heard My Bloody Valentine live and basically was like, holy shit, you guys are great, I love you, um, and I want to release uh, a record with you, um, or a single. And so they, they went away and they came back with this first EP, You Made Me Realize, and that was kind of the first re uh, release on Creation Records, and Creation would be um, the label that My Bloody Valentine was with through Isn't Anything and Loveless. So I'm curious, your thoughts on these EPs or kind of the stage in which the band is now. We've talked about their, and are they, their uh, are they sound still changing in, a lot. Are they still in London at this point or Ireland? They're in London for their whole, for the entirety okay. of their career. They go to... Um, the, I, I thought they started off found, in Berlin. They did. Um, right. but, but for the rest uh, of their career, they, they are, are back in London. Yeah, for the rest of their career, they're in London. I, this was recorded in Wales, um, is what I found, is that the oh, isn't shit. anything uh, LP, uh, and I think some of these EPs are recorded in, in, in the Welsh countryside. But but for the most part, they are in in London and uh, in the in the England area. Okay, cool. So they are, they are they are around the British Isles. They are around the British Isles. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on You Made Me Realize, released August of 1988. This was their first release for creation um, and their first uh, thing with Belinda Butcher after the Ecstasy and Wine comp that we listened to last week. Well, first thing to comment is, man, they put out a lot of music in a very short period of time. Yeah, they did a I couple mean, were releases. They banking, a couple were they releases. banking up these songs or did they just release two EPs and an album all in the back half of 1988? So, from what I understand, the album was recorded over a course of two weeks, um, and that was its own thing. Right. And then You Made Me Realize was recorded, I think, very quickly. Uh, I think, like, uh, I guess Kevin Shields, like, heard from Alan McGee, like, oh, I want to release a single. And then he, like, went away and did five or six songs and then came back. And then I, I believe Feed Me With Your Kiss is somewhere between, like, outtakes for, of the sessions, kind of. Like, it's things that didn't quite fit on the first EP and didn't quite fit on the LP. Um, so but, did they record it, the LP roughly, before the EP? No, oh, okay. uh, it was recorded chronologically in order, I, I think, okay. or at least, or if not in order, then kind of all together, because they came out in August, October, and November of 1988. So like it, it was all pretty close together, and I think like mid 1988. Yeah, I was just kind of shocked by how much music this was for like a pretty short uh, period of time. Yeah, it's about like two. It's like a double album's worth of of songs in in like six months. <laughs> Um, man, I really love this LP. I think this was the first one we listened to that just kind of tipped over into unironic. I mean, not unironic, like pretty much everything else. Like I've enjoyed parts of it, but mostly it's been like, oh, this is interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is the first one where I was just like, I just like this. I, I just like this EP. 
The CP is just yeah. good. Um, I agree. I think that this is the start of, of good music from them, like, on I mean, I'll see where we go for the rest of the episode, but I think this is, like, a very uh, a very good EP. Yeah, yeah but spoiler EP. alert, this is a real... Um, we called it's last time transition the piece. It's a real one step forward, two steps back episode for me. <laughs> but um, I feel like you know when when I'm trying to sum up what I like most about my bloody Valentine, it's that they manage to sound propulsive and laid back at the same time. Is what's so cool about like Loveless and the best of their music that they're able to mix like you know really forward moving rock elements, but also kind of like more dreamy chilled out vibes at the same time and this is the ep where i'm like okay like they've got that they've they've got that yeah. mix that is going to define my favorite music of theirs continuing on with our <laughs> sunday gravy red sauce analogy which I, which i was reminded of when i was editing our last episode big where are we in the i talked a lot about salting your food we did we did you did talk a lot about salting ingredients last time like so are we feeling like like the salt has been evenly distributed throughout a, the a weird thing happened we're like i'm ready to serve it up at this point but then like i knock something with my elbow and, oh, like, and mama mia and mama mia the flavors change uh, oh no i put sugar instead of salt and then i have to like apparently start all over at the next dp <laughs> but like this okay, is so i'll, I'll ready to say serve. that you made me realize is when you're serving it and then feed me with your kiss is when you knock over the sugar and then isn't anything <laughs> is the remnants of the sugary sauce now that you have to deal with it. right exactly. that's kind of the, the trajectory like, oh now i need to go back and like refine it again i thought it was there so before we spill the sugar, though, let's talk a little bit about, you made me realize, um, this is sort of noted, I, I think it's like a huge jump up, you think it's a huge jump up, it's the, the, the uh, things that Kevin Shields credits as influences on the guitar playing and the sound of the album are Jay Mascus from Dinosaur Jr., okay, cool. uh, Thurston Moore from Sonic Youth, and Smoking a Lot of Weed. <laughs> it's like a very funny, like a very funny, like those three, are three Those are three trifecta. influences. Man, yeah, I didn't so those are kind of like what, what he was did, doing at this time. When does Bug come out? Bug is, I think, also 88. I think You're Living okay. All Over Me is 87, I think, okay. from Dinosaur Jr., I believe. Um, let me double check. And I think Daydream, so You're Living All Over Me was Man, 87. 87, yeah, more like Dinosaur Sr., am I right? Well, I mean, they originally were just called Dinosaur, but they had to change their name because there was another band called there was Dinosaur. Another band called Dinosaur. <laughs> I bet there were a lot of bands called Dinosaur. I, I think it's probably a pretty uh, uh, popular band name. And then Daydream Nation, the Sonic Youth album, came out in... October of 1988, but they would have been doing Sister and um, Evil before that. So, like, they sort of have broken onto the scene of... Right. So, like, that kind of American noise indie stuff yeah. is, like, percolating in... You it's know, cool that he was aware of Jay Yeah, and it's, it's cool that they became friends, like, later on. I like that, like, like manifest your, <laughs> your fandom into friendship. I think that's a cool little move. So we're going to listen to the first um, track, You Made Me Realize, off of this EP... Um, just kind of a snippet of it, and then we'll come back and talk about it uh, afterwards.
let it go a little longer there because I wanted to end on that noise section because it's just cool stuff. It's, it's important to the My Bloody Valentine lore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So are you, you're into this one? Yeah, no, I'm super into it. And so, I mean, it makes sense that they're drawing this kind of like American noise influences, but I think it kind of plugs a hole in, in their sound that's really, really great. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's interesting going from Ecstasy and Wine being like a little bit all over the place, a little bit dreamy, a little bit jangly, and this, this yeah. just feels like such a harder edge to what they Yeah, were and like the, the noise is so much better than the jangle to fill in between the dreamier vocals and like they're not full dreamy on the vocals yet but they're definitely getting there yeah um, they're kind of doing the mixed um androgynous thing that we had talked about last right. episode is, is kind of coming to the forefront so the reason i put in that noise section is because this is kind of infamous in in the my bloody valentine live like lore is that they will play this every every um show you made me realize and they'll go into that noise section and then they will play it until what kevin shield says that he can sense the audience changing it's so like what they do is it goes between 15 minutes and an hour is how long what? they've done it before. Yes. yes. An hour? So what they will do is, yes, the band will just sit there in that section that we listened to at the end with just like the one chord, one note, one chord, like jet engine takeoff thing. And they will just play it as loud as they possibly can with the right. purpose as, as of loud, like he said, as, as loud as the venue will allow. As loud as the venue will allow it. And he says that he does it until he can tell that everybody in the crowd is into it. Or the people who are not into it have left because they think it's terrible. And, like, I was listening to an interview with him, and he said something about, like, hearing this volume for that long, like, changes your brainwave frequency. And he's like, it's like being high. Like, you can see everybody in the crowd, like, get into it. And I was like, okay, dude. So, okay, so that's, dude. this is, like, a notorious thing. And, is this and, why uh, you don't like all have, music? Well, I mean, they all have really bad hearing loss problems now, which I think is a very funny, like, like result of that. That sounds um, physically yeah, exhausting. Just yeah, I mean that, that that's that like long. sort of the point is I think like because as we get a little bit into Loveless, like their music gets like a little bit I, I wouldn't say full on, but it has like tinges of kind of like ravey and dancingness to it in, in yeah. places. And I think like he kind of has this idea of like I can make indie noise music into a danceable, groovable thing if I just like pound you with it for long right. enough that you'll just like get into it. Which I think is like a very if I funny gaslight photo. you with how loud this yes. is. So apparently, if you go see them, it's it's noted to be insanely loud and usually lasting somewhere around a half an hour of just like tr pure guitar noise sounds until you you like either fuck off or get with the program. So, so that's that's kind of the, their style, I guess. I'm not sure that I would be super into it, but it's cool that it exists. I think. Yeah. No, that uh, now I don't want to go do a My Bloody Valentine show because I don't want to. Well, I don't think they do a lot of shows these days. So yeah. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Um, and the next one we're going to talk about is the second track, which is Slow, off of the You Made Me Realize uh, EP. chose that was because it has a very specific sound at the beginning with that guitar um kind of yeah. sounding noise that's going on and that is um as far as i can tell that is the beginning of what kevin shields has called glide guitar which is glide his, guitar like, style of playing guitar it's like if you ever have looked have you ever played a guitar i mean i know you played mandolin a, a bit in, in college but <laughs> i don't know if you've ever 
messed around with guitars. No. But um, the guitars that he was using, I think, are like Jazzmasters or um, Jaguars. I don't remember. What I don't remember which um, what kind that he uses specifically. But it has like a tremolo, like a whammy bar on it. And so a lot of times, like when people use that, you hear like the kind of like Van Halen style or like Jimi Hendrix thing, where people are like dive bombing and making like crazy noises and stuff. Yeah. But what Kevin Shields figured out is like if you play kind of rhythm guitar along with while like holding and kind of jangwangling on the whammy bar that you can kind of get like this warbly in between sound where the guitar goes like in and out of tune um repeatedly and it kind of like comes up to tune and goes out of tune as you're doing this kind of like light dreamy guitar stuff so he's kind of like a new way of playing guitar that he you know leveled up and unlocked and then it, that like informs a lot of what the band does from then on so i, I yeah real real real, real power up real kamehameha that's true are you into um slow is that a i mean yeah, i think you like I mean, this whole album it's the sad story of a lot of these eps right where like they're figuring out cool stuff to do with the instrumentation but then it's just a step back away from the dreamy androgynous vocals into this like male singing that doesn't vibe with me but the guitar totally vibes so you so you prefer when it's like more androgynous mixed or Belinda takes it. Cause I oh, like, for sure. I, I really like these. Um, I really, I really like the, I, I really prefer the female vocals. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, and then finally, or, or this, when I can't tell if it's a male or female. Vocals. Yeah. When it's mixed together yeah. into, into one kind of thing. And finally so, yeah. for this EP, we're going to uh, talk about cigarette in your bed, which kind of has a different, um, slightly different sound to it. Sort of something that they were experimenting with, um, around, time of this EP. I dig it. I love this vibe. Yeah, I love the vibe of this. It's 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 so dreamy. Um, it's really beautiful, and the the do 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 do's are so uh, funny to me because it reminds me of the very first EP where he's got the like with the background singing. They yeah, have like the the wild kind of background singing, but now it's like the good version of that. <laughs> um, yeah, I think this is a cool yeah, like this mid-step is, between. I like the tempo of this. You know, it's 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 a nice kind of relaxed way to. Um, to end off the album, so I really, I really loved it. Yeah, I really like that one too. I think it has like a nice blend of some of the kind of dreamier, acoustic, strummy, slow tempo stuff, but with yeah. you know some of the more distorted kind of like bass melody stuff underneath, and and a little bit of the glidey kind of uh, shimmery guitar stuff. Um, so overall, you made me realize I personally, I know I'm gonna I, I'm gonna go out on a limb here, but like for me, I think this collection of five songs is like possibly some of the best individual songs that my bloody valentine ever did and uh, for me this is like uh, this is nine out of ten bloody valentines like th- this is an all-time great ep to me like I'm not, regardless of band 
I am, I am, I'm super stoked on this, and I, I absolutely love this um, record. I remember discovering it and being like, whoa, that's what they sounded like before Loveless? And like, I absolutely love this album. Uh, where are you on it? I, I would guess not as high as I am. I'm not quite that high, um, to be honest. I, I think it's like a seven and a half for me, which is still like mm. a big step up. I'm honestly slow. Is kind of the low. It's kind of the sticking point. That's for me. so funny because like slow um, is like my. I think maybe my favorite song. No, slow didn't work for me in the same mm. way. Um, I don't really. Uh, yeah, it's it, it just it didn't really work for me in the same way. So it's 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 definitely a big step up. And I like pretty much every song except Slow, but that was that was the odd man out for me. That's interesting. Yeah, Slow and Thorn, those kind of two in the middle. Because those vocals don't I, jive. Those really. vocals just don't jive with me, even even when they're getting the instrumentals really right. Interesting. Yeah, I really I like um. I would say in general, I don't care for female vocals that much. Like I I most of the bands. That well, you I, hate women. Well, I mean, yeah, yes. Apart from that, I mean, for a lot for a lot of reasons, but then also because of their vocal cords. So it's you know it's like a mix of things. For but, legal um, purposes, that's that's a joke. Yeah, for whatever reason, like um, female vocalists are just not usually in my wheelhouse, and I know that you have like way more of an attachment to a. That's lot just of, such um, a broad statement to singing. make, though. But I, but I think it's true. Like I like I don't have. There's no. I can't think of a single band that I. I mean sonic youth maybe like kim but even when she does kim gordon i don't like her <laughs> tracks with vocals on them as much like i i would i think that of my like top 10 or whatever bands or even top 20 i don't, I don't think there's a single female singer in, in any of them i can't i really i genuinely i'm trying to think right now I, I can't think of a lot of music that i listen to that has female vocals on it i don't know i i know you very well if a stranger came up and said that to me I would have a suspicion that there was something more than aesthetics going on. <laughs> Very possible. Maybe uh, it's some underlying. Like, I, I know you do a lot of like self psychologizing of yourself, but when you look at it, you're just like, oh, that's just my that's just my preference. That's just like aesthetic. Like the the yeah, kind of. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple. Like. Well, I think it's I think it's because of the type of music that I like tends to be very insular and dudish. You know, like it's mm. like I think it's like. Just a lot right, of so there is more than aesthetics going on, but not like well, the, yeah, because like, like I think production end. When I'm thinking of like your like a lot of you know we talked about like sad girl sophistopop stuff for you last oh, yeah. last kind of semester or like folky sad like sad lady singer stuff like yeah. I that's like a whole as a genre that I just like don't care for and a lot of like the genres that I like more are like noise music which there are some female like noise artists that i really love but those don't have vocals on them and then and then a lot of the music that i like is like american indie from like the 90s which is like very much like duty you know pavement guided by voices kind of stuff and then yeah american indie from like the 70s and 80s is a lot you know dinosaur junior sonic youth husker do black flag like all that stuff is very duty and and so is post-punk stuff you know like the smiths and um i guess there's more stuff like Susie and the banshees um and more kind of like female-led units in that your, your music tape is very like deep and narrow i guess and like the the trenches you like to navigate are pretty male yeah i would say that i'm somebody who like gets into a handful of things and then like really scoops into them i don't like shoot that wide of a of a net <laughs> in terms of <laughs> you know yeah that, i mean like it, it's not exactly the same thing. thing but like i feel like i've had conversations with people where you're like oh i don't like rap music but i like eminem and like Okay, he's a great rapper. It's like, oh, I also like Macklemore. It's like, okay, now I actually think you're racist. If the <laughs> two rappers you like 
are Eminem, who is legitimately great, and Macklemore, who is a terrible rapper. The only thing that links the two of them is that they are both white dudes, and I'm now extremely suspicious of you, sir. This is not quite the same thing. It's just, if I didn't know you, um, I'd be like, oh, that's a weird thing to say. And it's still a weird thing to say, but I know you, and I don't think you're a sexist person. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I I don't know why it is the way uh, that is. I mean, you you gave an account. You, You told a story that makes sense. Yeah, I think I guess it's just the I think I think it's probably just a subset of like the music that I also I mean also like is overwhelmingly white. Like I just yeah. I tend to be into genres that are very like um you know, like college white dude music, <laughs> which like is what I am was and am, but I feel like I probably like I stay pretty narrow and deep on those. Like I don't have a yeah. lot of like movement into. You got me um, onto like Pauline Oliveros, and like yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like it's, it's not, not like female, I don't like it's not female artists. It's just there aren't a lot. Yeah, of female it's just singers. A, it's just yeah. like there are not that many. Like musically, to me, there's not that many bands that have like exceptional um, or not exceptional that have like music and instruments that uh, instrumentation that I connect with that then also happen to have. Female vocals. There, there's some. I know a, a like, lot of the music you like doesn't have vocals at all, or like really downplays. Yes. I mean that is that is also part of it. <laughs> so like that there's no vocals on a lot of it, which then means that there's regardless of gender, there, uh, there's there's just no vocals. Um, but I like I like um was it Perfect Pussy I think and actually the, <laughs> the, the band the, yeah the band the Perfect band. Pussy and then Mannequin Pussy I think those are the two. <laughs> Do you like any female frontal bands that don't reference genitalia? <laughs> now that now that I've said this out loud, it sounds worse than it is. But those are two. Those are two. Like you, you, rock you just did the exact same thing that I was trying to absolve you of with the rappers, where you named two female bands, and the thing well, that linked them was that they both had pussy. <laughs> Well, they both are—they're uh, both like really strong uh, fronted ladies that you know want to be. Uh... Although, no, also, that, don't that is... Google "perfect pussy" without band is what I'm. Yeah. At the moment. You got that safe search on. I got that safe search on. Yeah. Uh, although I guess they broke up. Meredith Graves. I really liked her though. They have a couple songs there. Anyway. If you also of... love, if you also love Pussy Riot, I'm canceling you. Um, I don't think I know any of their music. No, I don't know. I just any, know them I've as like an activist thing. Right? Although the other band I can think of is called the Slits, like the the, uh, the like female uh, post punk band from the seventies. Maybe like Pussy the Riot Actually, is the Raincoats, our Russian. Was... Do you think Pussy Riot? Do you think Pussy Riot is our Russian listener? Is our one Russian listener? Uh, yeah. After this, I think not. <laughs> apparently, I'm outing myself as a as a closet music misologist. Right. Well, N- no, misogynist. Thank and, you for entertaining that very um, aggressive line of questioning. <laughs> Well, I mean, it is cut, funny cut, that cut buddy... whatever you don't want to admit to the world. Oh, I'll put I'll put it all on there. I mean, that is genuinely my music taste. I'm not gonna. No, yeah, I mean, what I like or don't like. Um, but it is funny that My Bloody Valentine's one of my favorite bands, and they have you know the mixed androgynous. Belinda. Bands. Anyway, uh, anyway, on from that music, <laughs> we get into uh, "Feed Me with Your Kiss," um, the next EP that was put out between um, "You Made Me Realize" and the "Isn't Anything" LP. Um, do you have any sort of higher level thoughts on this? I know you were saying this is the moment where the sugar spills into the sauce for you. This was my least favorite uh, thing. This was worse than the first EP for me. No way, dude. Yeah, no, I that really is, didn't like this. That is wild. I really didn't like this. What about it? Um, the way he says suck, um, <laughs> I really don't like. 
No, I just, I just, I might be being hyperbolic. It, it, it might just be like the contrast of like the disappointment of feeling like they, we were, they were so close to, to being there. And then just like mm. this turning in a direction that I liked a lot less that was like heavy on the vocal style that I don't like. And like, I don't know, like more thudding instrumentation. Um, I do, I do think that this, that this EP has clunkier um songs to it like i feel like the 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 music and the instrumentals are way more um yeah like kind of like you were saying thuddier and clunkier which yeah. we're, which we'll hear and feed me with your kiss in a second is is it's yeah. less of the fuzzed out kind of like nimble kind of stuff they've been doing um and yeah i just i just did not vibe with the cp Interesting. And like i said some of that might just be um contrast but that's how it hit I, me. What is the? Where is the part that he says "suck" in it? I need to now. I think "feed me with your kiss" is all is like the. I just man, like it. it honestly, like so much. I mean, of me that's in the song "Slow" is the first from song. You made um, me realize is um, it's like something, 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 and suck, suck, suck. That's in "Slow." Oh yeah. Well, that's why I didn't like "Slow," but oh, okay. Uh, this EP. So then, dis, so then that discounts what you think about this. Well, th- <laughs> this EP reminded me of "Slow." <laughs> okay. Like, Interesting. I think this EP is much more reminiscent of "Slow" to me. Okay. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I definitely do agree that it's a step back. Let's hear some of the first, uh, the title track, um, Feed Me With Your Kiss, a little bit of that. That one's interesting to me because it just sounds like an American indie rock song with yeah. not like a lot of uh, My Bloody Valentine flourishes. To yeah, it. I don't know the, if the, that's where the, you come away with that. But the, the 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 guitar style on that song has just managed to unlearn like all the interesting sound they've been refining. Yeah, it, it definitely sounds baffling. like it's trying to ape the uh, yeah. a more like brutal, straightforward thing. Yeah, in a way that's like that's what made this so frustrating to me. I was like, oh, you guys are like really curating this really kind of unique sounds profile and then it's just like oh this is like yeah the american indie rock song yeah i agree i, I think like the, the, the verses vocal style on, that the, i don't dig yeah the vote the, the verses i like okay when they're doing sort of like the back and forth singing but the actual like main riff of theme with your kiss is like a little sort of clunky and sludgy for me um for compared to some of the other stuff that they and like it, it, it's a sound i like elsewhere it's just it's mm. it's a weird tack it's a weird tack for them to take here i guess well, then I'll be interested and, and, and to hear. The, this EP makes a lot of sense of, like, stuff that really didn't make it either on the prior EP or on the later album. Yeah. Well, I mean, Feed Me With Your Kiss is on isn't anything, but the rest of these are... Um, and also, I should say, like, you know, in terms of reviews and stuff like that, like, this was thought to be a step down from... Um, you maybe realize when it when it came out. So you're not you know alone in thinking that. I think you're right. probably alone in saying that it's worse than worse than, than worse this than is geek. your bloody Valentine, which is which is wild. Um, but then so and then the last the other one I wanted to highlight off this because I I also agree that I think these songs are not like exceptional. I think they're kind of okay. 
is um, I Need No Trust, which has kind of like the slow dirgy um, kind of thing. So we're going to listen to uh, a little bit of that now. This is the last track on Feed Me With Your Kiss. Hit me. Imagine if you don't like the male vocals, then this song is particularly grating for you. Yeah, hey, me. <laughs> this, this one is just yeah. not me. Um, I think I, I picked it, this one more like, for the. I loved the ending track on the last EP with the kind of like cruisy, dreamy guitars and the female vocals kind of mixed in the back, and this is just like this thud. This again, it's 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 the thudding instrumentals and the more fronted male vocals. Or just it's it's everything I don't really like on the CP. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, this sounds like a funeral dirge to me. Like it's it's yeah. like very like. I mean, that, 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 there's just that that drum beat is very like. Yeah. Thud. I, I mostly thud. picked I it because a song where that's an amazing effect, but it's it's yeah. Not I, I do thing. like the instrumentation. Like it sort of is messing with this like reverse reverby kind of thing where it's yeah. it's kind of um has like that that oceany wash guitar sound um going on in the background of it. But I I I, I agree like. The, the male vocals don't um, rub me as wrong as you, but like yeah. even then, I don't really care for it that much, so I can understand where your frustrations is with this. So I'm very curious, overall then, Feed Me With Your Kiss, you had uh, This Is Your Bloody Valentine at like, what, three out of ten? No, this, I, I, I'm, like, I'm like back down to like a three. I just like really Holy don't like shit. this. Wow. Okay, I'm, so you're a three on this. I'm like a, I think I'm like a 6.5-ish kind of range. Um, I, st- I still like what's going on in places, even if some of the experimentation does feel like heavier and, and more of a, I don't know, <laughs> like a like a thud landing in the middle of the room. <laughs> yeah. So let's take a, a quick micro break, and then we will come back and do the Isn't Anything LP and see if that uh, brightens up your perspective, <laughs> or not your perspective, your, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Your uh, take on this era of the band. Spoiler alert, I don't think it will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and we're back with a little bit of context for the Isn't Anything LP. We are now in November of 1988, nearly six years since the founding of the band, uh, and we finally released a debut album. <laughs> Only took us that Only long right. How long has it been a band for this point? Since 1983, cool. and it's about to be 1989. Uh, I mean, to be fair, they've gone through so many changes that it's almost unfair to call like to have them be the same band yeah you know even they said in the last episode like we were trying to think of a different name and we just kind of didn't so we just stayed with this one it's like, okay yeah i, I was um, giving him a bit too much shit last time it, it really does feel like they have arrived at you know what they want to be as a project at this point and yeah but i also think that this so isn't anything is was recorded um in wales during a two-week period um basically like they they brought some of the, those EP tracks to um, Alan McGee, who was the Creation Records uh, co-founder and owner, and he really liked the weirder stuff. And they uh, he said that Kevin Shields was a little surprised by this, and so uh, he kind of pushed them and was like, "Yeah, go make something that like is d- digs into the like the stranger side of what you're doing and less into the kind of the like we had mentioned the sort of indie American indie ripoff sort of thing." Right. Um, so they recorded this over a course of two weeks. Um, the kind of the most infamous 
aspect of it is that Belinda Butcher had said that they only slept for two hours every day, and that like what they would do is like <laughs> make sounds, music the that whole time. Bad. It does. It sounds very bad. But what they would do is like make music the whole time, and then like take these like small naps, and then they would like wake each other up from the small naps and try to like immediately record vocals or record uh, music to kind of like catch this in between dreaminess state. <laughs> that was like kind of the the goal of it. I mean, it, it sounds like a miserable seem, existence, but it just doesn't seem necessary. It doesn't. But uh, it led to this album, um, which is sort of the first uh, push in what would be kind of termed as shoegaze um, as, as like a genre. I mean, it existed in pieces before. We had talked about Jesus and Mary Chain, Cocteau Twins, sort of like dreamy, poppy, noisier stuff. But this was kind of the, the place where it coalesced into like a single kind of vision or an idea um, of, of shoegaze as kind of like a mix between all of those different things on one release. Um, I'm curious, what are your, do you have any kind of like overall thoughts on this for their debut album? Uh, isn't anything? I mean, I liked it more than the last EP, but not as good as the first EP. You know, it's, it's, it's still, it's been the story of this whole thing of like flirting with a really interesting ideas, but not settling into the ones I find most satisfying or the ones that will work best for them in the long run. Um, yeah. I, I totally understand that. My personally, my relationship with this was, was pretty interesting. You know, like many people, I came to Loveless uh, as the first release from My Bloody Valentine, and I didn't check out Isn't Anything for years. And then I, I finally got to it, and I remember putting it on and thinking, this is garbage, and I hate this. Like, right. I, I really did not like it at all when I first heard it, because it's it's quite different than the kind of lush wall of sound thing that they're doing in Loveless. Yeah. Um, and then over the years, I think as I got like a little more contrarian, there was a there was like a brief period of time where I was like, no, like, Isn't Anything is the real, is the real good stuff. It's <laughs> <laughs> the real good was, stuff. Yeah, there there was a period of time where I think I, I genuinely thought that, and then I kind of like cooled down from my from that edginess, and I sort of have settled on it now, being somewhere in between where I'm like I don't, it's I don't think it's nearly as bad. I think this album is a grower personally. Um, I right. think it is it has some aspects of it that are kind of like off putting and strange. And there's a quote that I you know see people mention where it's like there's a lot of loveless ripoffs. There's no isn't anything ripoffs. Like it's just <laughs> such a it's such a weird its own thing, and then even though like it this did not spawn of, any imitators. Yes, like it spawned shoegaze as, as a kind of thing of people being like, "Oh, that sounds cool. What if we did our version of it?" But like, right? It nobody actually tried to do this sound. Which do you know, you know who it's, it's did they of, call it shoegaze? Do you know where that? Term no, it comes? was a music. Um, uh, I don't. I'll look it up real quick. But it was a. Uh, it was meant as kind of like a semi like pejorative. Right. Um, Thing it, to it was it, coined by you know it, it brings to me a mind of a show where everyone is just kind of standing around looking at their feet yeah that that's the um that's the idea of it yeah um i'm trying to think of the oh etymology which is don't. weird because like i <laughs> that concert experience to, to me like brings to mind a very different kind of sound than like loveless at least or or really this well, specifically what it was talking about was like, so it's, it's, was for the Sounds magazine that they were, he was, this person was reading lyrics from the floor, but then 
the shoegaze like tendency is is that like people were stepping on effects pedals like that it was a lot of like oh kind of, so it's they it's were the, like the band is looking at there oh yeah 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 shoegaze yeah. is is talking about the band it's not talking oh, about oh I thought it was talking about the audience looking at their feet no 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 it's kind of it's it's meant to be like it's a little bit pejorative because I think like they were kind of trying to do this like anti rock star thing like like I listened yeah. to Kevin Shields had talked about um oh it's yeah it's in this quote about Robert Smith that he played with Susie and the Banshee in the early eighties and like. He just like stood on stage and didn't do any kind of like histrionics at all, right? And and that he really They're liked that as kind of like staring at their anti- pedals, which yes. looks just like looking down the whole time. Yeah, and then there's another name for this scene, which I think this is like a terribly clunky and bad name. But Melody Maker called this whole scene the scene that celebrates itself. <laughs> I don't, I don't like. But it was basically like it was. I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Yeah, I think it's a bad like term. But it was basically kind of like this slight dig at the fact that like a lot of the people, I think it was in like was it Camden in the UK, and a lot of these people would like play in each other's bands and would like go see each other's gigs. Like they were making yeah. very kind of like insular music for themselves, kind of. It was like all these these like weird music geeks making weird music geek music for other music geek listeners. Which um, is I kind, think of it was great, kind of like you know a great thing in the abstract. Yeah, it is a great thing in the abstract, but I think like it felt a little bit like too um, I don't know self-serving to some people, I guess, at the time, and, and sort of like so, um, like what are, what is going on here? Like nobody's it, like there's no passion or whatever to it. It's just kind of all these like weird geeky people standing in the corner making weird geeky music for each other, which you know sounds great. Long term, sounds I, great. I like, TBH. <laughs> sounds great. <laughs> yeah. So um, so isn't anything is the kind of the start of that uh, whether you want to call it shoegaze or the scene that celebrates itself, if you, whichever one you'd like to call it. Um, and so we're going to listen to the first track off here, which is Soft as Snow, parentheses, but warm inside. And if you didn't like some of the lyrics on uh, on the last one, well, let me tell you. No, I tell you. Let me tell you what. Um, this, the interesting thing about this track is, like, this is the track that, like I was saying, uh, Alan McGee told them to come, like, go away and come with, up with weirder stuff. And this was the track that... Um, Kevin Shields kind of like showed him as like here's 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 my attempt to do something like a little here's, on the stranger here, side. Here's weird. Yeah. So this is a uh, soft as snow, but warm inside. It's kind of great. It's kind of great, um, but it's I don't know. Like, you're right. It's 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 so different than what they've done before and where they end up. And it's, it's so weird. Like, this could have been the terminus point of their sound, and yes, people would have liked it. Let me Not read you like... some lyrics. Soft <laughs> as snow, but warm inside. Penetrate. You cannot hide. Yeah, I don't, first, I, know, uh, I don't really want any of that, and I don't really want you to read any of it out loud. No, uh, <laughs> like, I'm going to keep going. Uh, <laughs> fingertips are burning. Can I touch you there? Soft as velvet. Eyes can't see. Bring me close to ecstasy. High away to heaven, and I'm coming too. <laughs> so I wonder what that song's about. I wonder what that yeah, it's a no way to tell. I, no way to tell, really. No way to tell. We'll, have, well, we can only be left to guess. Yeah, I feel like it's one of those things where it's like there are things about this that I think are good. Like the, my overall thought on this album is that like. It feels like somebody was sketching a picture that would become Loveless, but they like forgot to color it in or like do the line work. <laughs> and, it, and so like, there's a lot of aspects in, in that where it's like, it sounds like 
in in structure or in style what Loveless would become, but it has like only one guitar instead of like right. fifteen layers of guitars, and like only one kind of vocal instead of like five layers of, of kind of swooning dreamy vocals. And it's like it it feels a lot like I kind of like pieces of it. I like where it's going, but it feels very empty to me. I don't I don't know if that's a similar thought that you have. It's definitely stripped down, you know, and it's it's the the wall of noise is I think part of what we love so much about. Um loveless but i mean they, they still managed to create some really cool sounds like i love what the guitar is doing on that song yeah and i don't know exactly what it is but like for some reason like the singing is working a little better with this style of guitar like the less fuzzed out um guitar but yeah and it, it's it's just not as like the drums and the bass aren't pushing everything forward in the way that i really like um so yeah, it's 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 hard to listen to it knowing that it's not what I want them to be doing, but it's certainly not bad music. It's also it's funny to me where it's like we've come from so much stuff that is considered transitional and then I'm like, Okay, now we're at like where they really start and it still feels transitional. That's <laughs> what I was like, gonna uh, say. Uh, it was it was so weird to be like Last one was the transitionally piece, and now we're to My Bloody Valentine, and it seems like they almost needed, like, they almost needed to, to do these movements twice, you know, to like prime the pump before they really started rolling. It feels like they're experimenting in the same kind of cycles that they were in the transitional EP. Yeah, and I think part of that is is the consequence of Loveless being like such a monolithic sh- casting such a monolithic shadow on the rest right. of their career that like you it's very hard to compare these as anything but leading up to that so like it's it's it just becomes like so much of it becomes like oh yeah this is interesting but it's not it's not loveless you know? <laughs> which is like uh, it, it sort of is it's hard to catalog some of their earlier stuff and understand where it is because it's just dominated by the context of becoming something else and i think some of it is like I don't know if it's just that they're releasing stuff that other bands would just keep as B-sides or as experimentation. Because, I mean, over these past couple of years, they're releasing a lot of music. And I just, maybe it's just that they are doing a very normal bouncing around and experimenting with ideas. But we're just kind of seeing them try to figure it out more in real time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think oh. you're. I mean, I think you're probably right. Like it, it's. I mean, just it's like, also like these EPs aren't spread out. On that, no, many they're they're years. quite condensed. It's over. It's over the course of three months that all this stuff comes out. Yeah, and even like last episodes EPs as well. I just feel like we're seeing. But I think that's kind of the interesting thing to them is like what they'll do is they'll kind of like they'll release like so for example with Strawberry Wine and Ecstasy it's like they release both of those in November of 1987 then they kind of go away and rework themselves and then yeah. all of their releases are like August of 1988 so it's almost a full year and then after this they're going to kind of go away and rework themselves so I feel like they're an interesting band where it's like they release a lot of things in, in salvos and in like chunks but like the in-between doesn't have like they're not dropping like a single every couple months or whatever they're like changing their whole sound in between that thing which is like a weird right. process it's, it's just i guess all i'm trying to say is it's interesting to see between last episode and this episode i feel like they're cycling between several sets of sounds without yeah. uh 
without settling on one of them. No, I agree, and that's kind of why I pick some of these off. Isn't anything because I think the interesting thing about them is that they then lose this this type of sound. Like yeah. Loveless kind of um, hones it to a right. very like specific place. Um, yeah. So we're gonna go into a little bit of a uh, Cupid Come, which is the third track uh, off of "Isn't Anything." We'll hear a I touch what of that, that song's about. <laughs> talking about where like the drums and stuff are just kind of like sitting on top rather than yeah. like pushing forward like it feels a little clunky and weird i like the pieces but they haven't been assembled into like a cohesive puzzle i, I really like what you said there actually that like it sounds like a loveless track where someone forgot to like master it or right? apply yes. it sounds like loveless without overdubs right yeah. it's like there's like oh we, I, sorry the pedal wasn't actually on for that one <laughs> Yeah, we, I know. Can we that, take that's that, like, that again? That's the, that's the thought that I keep getting when but, I come back to this now these days. But that's what the guitar feels like. But then the drums, you're right. The drums are just wrong. The drums aren't driving. The drums are just kind of like sitting. And I guess that's the main thing to me that seems like a step back is on the rhythm section, the drums and the bass. To be less driving is, like I said earlier in the episode, to marry the kind of dreamy sounds and the driving sounds together is what I really love when they can pull it off. And mm. the last DP and this album both seem to have stepped back from that ideal of like driving the music forward while kind of fuzzing out the guitars and the vocals. Yeah. I think I, I, I kind of wonder if maybe like the invention or whatever of Kevin Shields kind of doing the glidey guitar stuff kind of like, yeah, took over maybe, too much maybe, of the spotlight on this. Like right. it kind of, it kind of like made him like miss a little bit of like the, the importance of some of the rest of the instrumentation coming together. Where yeah, kind of they're like, like, oh, the, this, this is this is what we're doing now, and they forgot yeah. to to do some of the other stuff. Yeah, so we're gonna go ahead to all I need, um, which is another track on this. I think this is probably one of the closer tracks to like what Loveless becomes. It sounds a little fuller. Um, we're gonna hear a little uh, snippet of that. <laughs> prime example of what we were just talking about where it's like the texture and the guitar takes over to such an extent that like i mean there is some drums in there but it's kind of just like a drumless bassless sound yeah i like i love how the guitars sound i really do i almost get chills when the guitars start layering and fuzzing over each other but 
So when I'm when when I was listening to any of these, when I would get to the end of an album or EP, Spotify would just default to trying to start playing yep. Loveless, and mm-hmm. it's it's you know it starts with those drum beats. They're like ba 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 before yep, yep, yep. it goes into the guitars, and it's such a it's such a tease to like and to to know that they can do a really awesome rhythm section, but they're just not. It's just kind of weird. Yeah, there's a couple tracks. We're not going to listen to any more from these. There's like one or two tracks that do have a little bit more of the propulsive um, drumming that you into. But in general, I think you're right. Like, I, and it's interesting to hear you talk about this because it's I've never really thought of it like this. But now, kind of coming back and listening to it through with you and talking about it, it is like that the guitar movement and what the sort of the fleshing of that piece of it out kind of temporarily arrested the development of, of yeah. parts of the rest of the band right. in a way that then like. Loveless kind of like sets back on track, I think, um, and and kind of is a successful melding of the earlier propulsive stuff and the you know glidier, yeah, slidey and, guitar stuff. And and maybe other bands wouldn't have released all these EPs, you know, you know maybe they would have just called that experimentation. But you know, um, more music is better than less music in the abstract. So I'm not mad that they did this. And you're right. I mean, it's <laughs> even listen to the clips now. Like there's. There's a lot to like in this EP. There's just kind of a frustration of, why did you forget to do a thing I know you know how to do? Yeah, it's interesting. Especially, I, I, like, I know how this... much you love like uh, a bass line as kind of yeah, like yeah. The, the the tempo and the the melodic forward, and it's it must be frustrating that they're like, oh, I know you know how to do that, like man. Uh, I don't mind sitting in some of the um, like some of the slower, less yeah. um, like sort of floatier ones. But it's funny to me when I was coming back to this, I realized that like my relationship with these EPs and this album has become such that like I just plucked the couple tracks that I really love off of them into like shuffles playlists, and then right. I just don't ever listen to the rest of them. So it was very <laughs> coming back to these. I was like, oh, so okay, maybe you like, don't like it as much as you think you do. Yeah, like I was like, oh, okay, I I I do like a lot of this, and I think some of it is great. But I realized that I've kind of like self selected into the, like the things that I really like out yeah. of it. And then it, I sort of forget the moments of like longer, dirgier, thuddier, you know, I do always like really that move. where I'm like, Oh, I like that album. And then I look at the album. I was like, Oh, I like four songs on this album. I now realize. So, uh, isn't anything for me, uh, in terms of the number of, of bloody Valentine's, I'll give this, I think mm-hmm. this is somewhere in like the, maybe like 7.5, maybe creeping up to an eight. If I'm feeling like, Real, real generous. Somewhere, somewhere around there. Is that where is this for you? Uh, I'd put this around a six. Around a six, six for me. Yeah. Nice. Um, so that's kind of a, a wraps up our um, isn't anything uh, episode. And I'll say a little teaser. Next time we're going to be doing Loveless and the surrounding EPs. And um, so these the all crown the jewel. The crown jewel of My Bloody Valentine. What should I expect and, from um, those EPs? Am I going to like those EPs, or are they kind well, of more some of the same? Yeah, I think you will like some of them, and some because they have some tracks from Loveless on them, which is kind right. of the part of the lore of it. But um, I'll just say that they went into the studio in February of eight, 1989, expecting this to be recorded in five days, and the album was released in September of 1991. So cool. it's a bit of a cool. of a preview of what exactly happened over the course. Maybe of, of they should have been sleeping. Would have been a little bit more efficient. They only sleep for an hour a day. It makes them efficient, and then they, and then they all die. <laughs> so yeah, that that is a that is our um, my podcast Valentine for um, today, and uh, we're getting into I think a kind of a cool place. I'll, I'm excited to see the the turning point and actually getting into um, Loveless. 
Yeah, it's been, it's been fun to talk about these EPs. It's been fun to listen to them. Yeah. And uh, Paul, I believe you have a um. Yeah, so I have time? I have mostly as a joke and not be totally not because I got them crossed. I've been titling my save files uh, because <laughs> yes. we were talking about this. I've been titling them Velvet Underground. <laughs> Um, it confused me a lot the first time I went to download something and it just said Velvet Underground episode one. And I was like, I don't know what this means. It, it got me thinking about, you know, in sports, you can have a dream team. You know, you can have an all-star team. You can just put all the best players on the field and, and they're going to be pretty good. Um, in music, there hasn't really been a history of like the super group. It's like something people try every once in Literally, a while. Literally, super group is a term in music. Like that, yeah. that is a that is a thing. I mean, it, it is. Uh, sorry, I should. There is a history <laughs> of the supergroup. Um, there have not been a lot of successful supergroups. You telling it's, me Asia is not in the heat of the moment? <laughs> you tell me that. That's the primary supergroup right there. I mean, like Velvet Underground comes like Asia is one, and like you know, it's sometimes there's fuzzy like. I I was reading something and uh, do you know the thermals? They're uh, like Portland. Yeah. yeah, like I heard the port. I heard the the thermals described as a supergroup. <laughs> like only if like you mean a recombination of not very popular and obscure uh, Portland-based musicians. Yeah, it's um, a it's a, a regional supergroup. A, a a extremely niche and regional supergroup. Um, so. I want us to to play a game that I'm going to call uh, Best Worst Supergroup, or okay. uh, Super Oops. Is what I, I like that. I like Super Oops a lot. So so just because we're, we're running very long already, we're way past the hour mark, um, I want to uh, just take five minutes, and we're going to try to construct the worst supergroup with the best musician. So, oh, interesting. So we, you, you can't just, like, pick people you don't think are talented. Okay. And I've, I've, got, some, I've got some ideas to, to, to get us going, but just, like, a five-piece rock group. Um, that you know, we, four, that four we like five. the pieces of in their own bands, but, like, together they would make bad music? Yes, so like we think they're all talented musicians, but would make, would make terrible music okay. together. Do you have a, do you have a first... Uh, um proposition for a for a player yeah i'm just gonna go ahead and put flea on the base flea like, was going to be one of like, let's, <laughs> flea like he's he's good at his job okay but uh the slap base uh les claypool i think also works in the exact same oh yeah true, way true. from primus in the terms of like very forward slap base is an extremely specific sound and I think I think if we stick like a big kind of funky slap baser up there, um, okay. So flea is flea is the basis. Yeah. I, well, I also but also a, a third alternate position if we want to take a real left turn. Um, I was gonna go with upright bassist Edgar Meyer, who plays a lot of bluegrass music that I really like. Okay. <laughs> He's very good at the upright double bass, <laughs> and we could I just think... have him kind of like plunking along. I think. Flea would be more. I think Flea or um, Les Claypool would be more like noticeable as a clash yeah. of styles. I guess uh, this who is the, yeah bluegrass well, upright bassist. I feel like he would probably just like fade into the background more than be right. terrible. I would guess. But yeah, but I mean, so, I'm open. You, you fill fill the slot with whoever you think would be the most uh, incongruous with the rest of the band. So 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 that's up front. So um, 
For for guitars, I've got a couple of thoughts. Um, when we were when I was doing um our favorite music of the year, we got in a side discussion about math rock, and I think like yep. a real nerdy ass math rocker would be perfect in the guitar slot. So I'm gonna go for Tosin Abasi from Animals as Leaders. Um, just some real mathy, very technical, very not good sounding <laughs> guitar riffs. I think I would my if we were doing a guitarist, my pick would be Tom Morello because I, think I was gonna say stuff, Tom Morello. I was gonna all this stuff sounds like a lot of like because I know he did an album with Bruce Springsteen where it was like yes Bruce Springsteen songs with Tom Morello doing the and it's not very good and it doesn't work. So like I feel like he is somebody that's like can't resist doing a lot of like odd things on top that I think would be like distracting or or not. We are on the exact same wavelength because I was also thinking of. Don Morello. Like, it's but one my, of those things where it's like, yeah, he, it works for Rage Against the Machine, but it's so specific, kind of similar to like Flea or, or Les Claypool, where it's like, but my if you put that on other things, like, it just takes over. Both Rage Against the Machine and Chili Peppers are kind of in a rap rock zone, so I'm, I'm yeah, wondering, yeah, yeah. like, I'm worried that, like, what if Tom Morello and Flea actually... Actually vibe. Actually vibe a, together. Well, I mean, they That's would a, still be making rap rock, so they would still so be... So it would be. <laughs> so I'm not worried. I'm not that worried about that. <laughs> Um, okay, so similarly, uh, vocalists, I think there's a couple different directions you can go. Um, yeah. Cedric Bixler Zavala from Mars Volta is... Yeah, I, I feel like extreme. we're just making, like, a version of, like, like, these people are all weird enough that they will just play together and end up sounding like the Mars Volta. Well, the, the, see, that's, like, we're, we're gonna come all the way around. <laughs> it's gonna come all the way around. Um, for guitar, back to guitarist, um... I mean, he's very successful. I'm not, you know, I, I think uh, I think the Edge is a very specific Ooh, guitarist. Edge. Yeah, who would not work well with Flea? I think that would be very funny to be to do like funk slap stuff over like over like two levels of like <laughs> melodramatic <laughs> chiming stuff. <laughs> um, I mean, we we could also I think you could throw Bono up front as well, who would. Mix very poorly with. Yeah, he has like a pretty specific like arena rock kind of, um, big voice thing. I'm trying to think of like. I mean, if you want to go bigger voice, I mean, let's throw Josh Groban up there. (laughs) That would be very funny. (laughs) Michael Michael Bublé. Yeah, no, exactly. I I think like Andrea Bocelli, Michael Bublé, any of the kind of big like, you know, people who put out a Christmas album every single year. Um, be down for that. Who's the Family Guy guy who likes to sing? Uh, Seth, Seth MacFarlane. That's yes. actually a very good choice. Can a combination put, of like Stewie. And I think Brian that's kind of. I think that's kind of breaking our rules about talented musicians. But like Seth MacFarlane really I, I thinks think he's a, he. I mean, he's a technically a very good singer. Right? Yeah. So like, can we put him doing his like Bo Sinatra yes. thing up front? Um, I like that. And you know, uh, drummer was harder for me because I think like the mark of a good drummer is being able to like, you know, uh, get in the song. Um, so I think, uh, one sec. I have an idea for drummer right, not because me. I think they are bad in their, their own self, but because I think if we're doing, um, like technical funk rock stuff with Tom Morello, or Tosin Abasi on top of it. I think it would be very funny to put Meg White in because, <laughs> like, she's known for doing like one beat or like like a yeah. one variation of a very simple beat. Which, like, 
I feel like my, you know, because at first I was like, oh, let's go with somebody who's like really cheesy, like, I don't know, like Mike Portnoy from Dream Theater, where it's like all intense fills and stuff. But I think that would kind of work with the style. So, like, yeah. I think it'd be funny if it was like a super basic, like, boom, bop, boom, boom, bop, on top of those other guys doing funky weird <laughs> oh, stuff. My, so, I think uh, Meg White is my pick. On that note, uh, I was going to do the drum machine from Big Black, the punk band that only uses a drum machine. Yeah, I, I mean that's a good choice too. <laughs> All right, so of, of the ingredients, uh, so I, I, I've thrown out we, we I've thrown out some ingredients. How would you, how would you assemble these ingredients into the most talented, worst sounding uh, supergroup? Um, like, do you want me to pick more things, or what, what do you? No, mean? no, no. Just like of of the things we've thrown out, like how would oh, you? Oh, what would my choice be? Yeah, uh, what would your um, choice? How, how would you how would you assemble these ingredients? And if if you have any other thoughts, throw them out. I kind um, of I thought to... about you know for future ones. I thought about throwing this out to you beforehand so you could think about it. But, you know, I, I, I like to surprise you with the... Yeah, no, I, it's fun either way. I, I like both of them. Um, I'm trying to think if there are, like, other people that are so idiosyncratic that are, that, like... Idiosyncratic drummer thing. was the hardest one for me to think of because, like I said, I think, like, versatility is the mark. Like, you know, uh, again, I got too close to just assembling the Mars Volta because I think of, like, the, their drummers as also, like, kind of big, like, Phil guys. But yeah, then yeah, I'm yeah. like, well, that, I'm just... Um, uh, yeah, I think I would go. I mean, Meg White would definitely be my drummer choice. Yeah. I I think I would. I think Flea is a good bass choice. I think Tom Morello, it would be my one. And then I think um, my, uh, Michael Bublé on top of that <laughs> singing would be very. Would, that would be a very funny, strange combination to me. I'm trying to think of like, if there's another. Um, yeah, my, my only concern with that is that I think Tom Morello might kind of jam with. I mean, who's like your sludgiest? You know, kind of. Uh, fuzziest garage oh like guitar player um yeah. the guy i don't know if you've ever listened to um the melvins but uh king buzzo the guy with like the big like hair from the melvins who does like heavy drone stuff and yeah it's like it's like yeah i, I feel like that i feel like that heavy drone would pair the worst with I don't... that or like the guitarist um i forget what his name is steven m something from sun that would be a funny just, yes like, 20 minute like <laughs> extended single note just in the background just like i think that'd be funny i also would like to throw in somebody doing like production stuff like i'm trying like like somebody like scratching in the background or something like you just got apex twin doing glitch guitars in the background like if we don't have meg white i want like the glitch guitars from like boy girl song going on in the background I mean, I would be interested to see what, you know, what's funny is like, there's a, I, I genuinely feel like there's a subset of people that like, this would be their favorite thing. Like, I don't know if you know no, yeah. the band, um, like, uh, Mr. Bungle. I never band. heard of that band. There, it's the guy from, uh, is it Faith No More? I think the, like, the sort of like eighties. Yeah. Faith No More. And the, the lead singer is like Mike something or other. Um, I don't, Mike Borden. I, no, I'm sorry. That was the, uh, that's their guitarist. Either way, Mike Patton. And he has this band called Mr. Bungle. And they're, like, known for, like, this. Like, that, this is, like, what they do is, like, they make, like, super odd, like. Combinations uh, of stuff? Yeah, like, like purposefully, like, kind of obtuse and strange, like, art, art, funk music stuff that is, like, very odd and strange. But people, like, really love it. And I've tried to listen to it. It's listed as avant-garde metal or funk metal. And like sure. I've tried to listen to it before, and I just like don't like it. And I kind of feel like this is what we're creating. It's like we're creating like a weird like avant-garde funk metal band. Yeah, 
I mean, also for I mean, vocalist is where like the styles are most distinct. But I also kind of want to throw John Darnielle of the Mountain Goats up there, and it's kind of like extremely nasal uh, storytelling cadence. Yeah, that that would be kind of fun. Who was like a who's like the least singer most like? So I guess he's probably. I mean, he's a good. I, I like him though, but I feel like he. I mean, like this is kind of cool, but like Daniel Johnston, I feel like. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. yeah, Daniel Johnston would be a would be a good pick. Just hearing him up there. Doing his, like, I mean, but then, like, off. I mean, like, you know, you're kind of a uh, fuck. Who, who who did Scratch Guard Lanyard? What was the name of the band you had on the uh, dry cleaning? Yeah, dry cleaning. I feel like you could, like, you know, kind of like a lower key spoken word, but like, you know, we're we're in danger of making something great here. <laughs> I know that's a problem. You know, uh, Wesley Willis, the rock and roll McDonald's guy. Yes, no, I, I yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was something you put me onto, but you know, I feel like the thing is just like if I'm in high school, like, okay. The best drummer is Neil Peart. The best mm. bassist is Flea. The best guitarist is Jimi Hendrix. And the best singer is Josh Groban. Or probably all my opinions at the time. <laughs> and just like Interesting. I have never considered I like have never I don't think Josh Groban has ever entered my mind in a musical sense. Like I see him on like oh, no, yeah. things and I'm like, oh he exists, but I I don't even know what his music's like, I don't even know what he sounds like. Uh, it's like big, is it like big croonery stuff? Or like, yeah, it's just big croonery it. stuff. You know, he's got a powerful voice. I mean, um, it's I, it's. But I, I before I knew what romance was, uh, it was what passed for uh, romantic. So I did a lot of uh, Dallas, Texas, making out in the backseat of a car at a Josh Groban. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Grobes, get on the podcast. Let's talk about it. <laughs> Groban, I'll get on the pod. Yeah, I was I was too busy um, not listening to uh, female vocalists. Yeah. <laughs> and driving all women away from me. All right. Well, I think that's all we've got for today. <laughs> that's all we've got we'll for today. We'll finally get uh, to Loveless next time. We will. Uh, and and as well, always, we've decided. Oh yeah, on our sign-offs, and he's and now you're what I call a real uh, super group. <laughs> oh, I like that. Um, now you're what I call sugary sugary sauce. Although sugary I think we might have done so- sauce. We last did sauce time. last time. I've been. Now you're what I call a real super group. Bye, everybody. Bye.